Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. The summary of the Robert Mueller, Mueller investigation into the 2016 presidential election is something of a puzzle if you've been waiting for a spectacular finish. Yes, the probe netted some 37 people who were charged with various crimes. It snared the president's campaign manager, his lawyer, and the one-time national security advisor. But the president himself, they said there was not enough evidence to charge, not for collusion and not for obstruction. And while the report doesn't exonerate Donald Trump, the path forward to continue this inquiry will be fraught and may be destructive to the ability to govern. So what happens now? That's where we want to begin the conversation today. And of course, we really want to hear from you. What was your reaction to the Mueller report, to uh, William Barr's summary of the Mueller report, which we heard yesterday? What was your reaction to the conclusions here? The idea that there are no more charges coming in this investigation and the president of the United States, who was accused of colluding with Russian operatives to try to fix the 2016 election and also of obstruction of the investigation into that, he won't face any charges either, at least not from the Justice Department. Is this the outcome you were expecting or were you sort of disappointed and maybe surprised by what happened? As always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there. Or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today and we'll work you into the conversation. And joining us now to talk about the fallout from the Mueller report is Barbara McQuaid. She is a former U.S. attorney for the Eastern District of Michigan. She now teaches at the University of Michigan. Barb, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks, Stephen. Good morning. Yes. So let's quickly get your reaction to the news. Were you surprised by the conclusions in the Mueller report? Yeah, I, I think the, the the letter that we have from Attorney General William Barr um, it's sort of like the last episode of The Sopranos. Been waiting <laughs> and watching all this time, and wait, what? That's it? Um, it's because it's a little bit ambiguous. Now, he does promise to provide more transparency and more disclosure later once they scrub it for uh, inclusion of grand jury material. And so I think we will find out more in the end. But, you know, a couple things stand out to me. I mean, one is all the headlines and what President Trump keeps saying is they found, Robert Mueller found that there was no collusion. I mean, that's not exactly what he found. Um, what Robert Mueller says in his report, or at least according to William Barr, is that he, the evidence, the investigation did not establish that members of the Trump campaign conspired with the Russian government in election interference. I mean, you know, it's like sometimes my father-in-law can't find his car in the parking lot. That doesn't mean the car's not in the parking lot. It just meant he didn't find it. <laughs> right. um, slightly different. Although, I will say this in contrast to that scenario, Robert Mueller spent a lot of time, a lot of resources, and has a lot of skill. He looked very hard to find conspiracy, and if he didn't find it, I don't think anybody will. And so I do think that that is about as uh, a strong a statement as, as can be made about that. The other thing that really struck me, though, about this is that Robert Mueller did not reach a conclusion as to obstruction of justice. Mm-hmm. Uh, it said, while this report does not conclude that the president committed a crime, it also does not exonerate him. And then in a really strange move, Attorney General Barr says, so I'm going to make the call and I'm going to say no. Um, again, that's a really strange thing 
for William Barr, the whole point of appointing a special counsel was to have someone who was insulated from the political appointee process to make these hard decisions. And instead, what Robert Mueller said, I, I, we, we can't exonerate him. Well, well, why not? What information do you have? And again, I hope we get that information in the coming days or weeks. Uh, I imagine Congress will want to see that. It may be that Robert Mueller thought, I can't indict a sitting president, so I'm just pulling together the evidence, and I leave it for Congress to, to say. But for William Barr, the attorney general, to jump in and reach that conclusion is, to me, really bizarre. It's sort of like... Um, you know, having Tom Brady be the quarterback of the Patriots all season and all the way through the Super Bowl, but for the last drive for Bill Belichick to say, I got this, Tom, and step in himself as quarterback. <laughs> what the heck is that? So uh, come on, answer questions here. I hope it will be answered soon. Yeah, so, so I, I want to talk about the two different kinds of charges that were possible here, because I think there are very different things. One is this idea of collusion. Did yeah. the president or the people around him participate in activities that broke the law with regard to foreign interference in, in the 2016 election? And then, of course, the other is obstruction of justice. Did the president or people around him interfere in the investigation into that? Let's start with collusion. This is a very uh, difficult thing to prove, A. Uh, there is no actual charge of collusion, I don't think. This is about conspiracy. Um, but we saw a number of people who were close to the president be accused and indicted and charged with activities that, that came very close to the definition of uh, cooperating with foreign agents in interference in the election. So what does it mean that Mueller has concluded that the president, who who is at the center of those efforts, is somehow blameless? Well, I don't know if he uses the word blameless, but he does say that the investigation did not establish conspiracy between the Trump campaign and the Russian government. Um, it, it means they didn't reach an agreement that this was our plan. It, it sounds like what they found instead was overtures by the Russian government to assist the Trump campaign, but not that the Trump campaign did anything, you know, agreed with that uh, or participated itself. I, I think one question that remains unanswered to me is, why then did we see so many people lie, uh, even risking going to prison for it, if there wasn't some there there, if there wasn't a reason to lie? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Michael Flynn lying about his conversations with Russians. Um, we had uh, Michael Cohen lying about the negotiations for Trump Tower Moscow. We had uh, Roger Stone charged, not yet convicted, with obstructing Congress. Why were they all working so hard to conceal the truth if there wasn't some nefarious story going on underlying all of that? I guess it is uh, strange to me. Perhaps when we see more of the report, more of that will become clear. Or maybe it's just like the old fable of the scorpion. Uh, why, why do you uh, kill those around you? Because it is my nature. Right. <laughs> Either just liars. I don't know. But I, I would like to know more about that. Yeah. So uh, the, the other issue, of course, was whether the president interfered into Mueller's investigation or, or some of the other investigations into what happened. Uh, over the weekend, I, I went and reread a piece by some folks at the Brookings Institution in which they laid out 
the ways in which they believed the president had interfered in that investigation and it included, of course, his demand of loyalty from uh, James Comey and his later firing of Comey, uh, the, his attempt to block Attorney General Jeff Sessions from recusing himself from the Russia investigation uh, that he later then asked Sessions to reverse his recusal decision, uh, that he demanded and, and obtained the resignation of Sessions for his failure to contain the Russia investigation, that he twice ordered the firing of special counsel Robert Mueller and dictated a false account for a key witness, uh, Donald Trump Jr., on June 9th of 2016, uh, of the June 9th, 2016 Trump Tower meeting. Uh, That's a long list. And those are all things that we know actually happened. So so I guess the, the question is whether those facts are alone enough to sustain a charge of obstruction or whether Bob Mueller had to find something else as well. Is there something about intent that has to accompany those. Yeah, you're right. It, it is a long list. And one of the things that we don't know from the Barr letter that, again, is another question that I think the public deserves to know is, did William Barr make this decision of no obstruction of justice as a matter of fact or as a matter of law? And in, in addition to that lengthy list you named, he says that most of the facts are already in the public domain. Well, that suggests that there are at least some that are not. So mm. Uh, In addition to that long list, it it sounds like it's actually a little bit longer. And so did he find that none of those things amounted to obstruction of justice, or did he find that legally the president can't obstruct justice? You may recall that William Barr submitted some 19-page memo to the Department of Justice before he was attorney general, arguing this theory that a president as the chief executive can never, as a matter of law, obstruct justice when he is simply exercising his power as the president. So if you were to do things like ask Jim Comey at the FBI to uh, let this thing with Flynn go, William Barr would argue that as a matter of law, that can never amount to obstruction of justice. So I think the public is entitled to know whether that was his, his legal opinion or whether the facts did not amount to obstruction of justice. And then there's also this idea that a, a sitting president cannot be indicted. Was he relying on that interpretation of the law? And so um, the other point about all of that is, Just because you um, are in compliance with every statute enacted by Congress does not mean you have not committed a high crime or misdemeanor for which impeachment is appropriate. So even if you've got this legal interpretation by Barr or he doesn't think the facts amount to every element of the criminal statute of obstruction of justice, Congress could still say, but that's still a high crime or misdemeanor for which impeachment is appropriate. Hmm. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Uh, we got a lot of folks who, who want to talk about this. But before we get to those, let's uh, look at some social media comments. Eugene on Facebook says, a four-page summation of a report that is 444 pages long. I guess it's the Cliff Notes version. The full report should be released rather than filtered through Trump's AG. Michael on Facebook says the main problem was the media circus that came from it. Too much speculation and obsession over its contents had Democrats and some members of the media overhyped this report as some sort of revelation that did not deliver. Mary on Facebook says the article states Mueller's report made a point of not exonerating Trump of obstruction of justice. Whatever he has done is beyond the scope of Mueller's jurisdiction, the full report should be released. Uh, let's go to Marianne in Macomb. Marianne, what's on your mind? Good morning. Hey. Um, I look at this report as 
it sounds funny, but bear with me. I look at it as like the latest Marvel movie that comes out. Everybody has been waiting for this. <laughs> and we all sit through this this masterful movie and the credits come on. And you know that there's one after credit scene and it's the bar report. Okay. And it says there's no collusion. And, and half of people leave the theater because they know there's an after credit scene. But some of the people wait because there's a second after credit scene. <laughs> and that's the one where everybody goes, Oh my God. And this is what's going to happen. So you think there's we, something else coming? I do. I do. Because listen, how many indictments did we have without the Mueller report? How many times did one person's testimony set a domino in motion that it brought down another testimony, hmm. another person's testimony? We have Michael Flynn. We have Michael Cohen. We have Roger Stone. These people brought each other down one by one by their testimony and by implicating someone else. Mm. We don't need the Mueller report to bring him down. That's interesting, Marianne. I, I don't know. I'm not sure... I'm not sure I feel that way this morning, uh, but but that's an interesting perspective. Uh, Barb McQuaid, one question I think is, a lot of the people who were charged were offered plea deals in order to avoid as much jail time as they might have gotten if they'd uh, gone to trial. O- often that's done as a way of getting them to cooperate uh, to deliver somebody else. If you think of Manafort and Cohen and Flynn, it's hard to imagine that that they might have been given deals for delivering information about anyone other than Donald Trump. So then that kind of, again, highlights the gap between what we know has happened and what this conclusion is. Yeah, well, one thing, you, you are right that uh, typically when you offer someone leniency in exchange for cooperation, it is cooperation about someone whose conduct is more egregious than yours or is higher in a criminal organization. And so when you're talking about people like Michael Flynn, who was the national security advisor, it's a fairly small circle of people who are above him in uh, the uh, government, at least. But there could be people whose conduct is more egregious. And I note that the bar letter does say that um, part of what he wants to do in removing grand jury material from the report before it's made public is to ensure that um, it does not impact on other ongoing matters, including those that the special counsel has referred to other offices. And so, you know, there is still more out there. There is the Michael Cohen investigation in the Southern District of New York, Mm -hmm. where just last week we saw a judge rule that 18 pages of the search warrant materials needed to remain sealed for at least 60 more days while they continue to investigate that. And remember, that includes individual one, who has been noted as President Trump. Mm -hmm. And so although we may not see additional charges relating to conspiracy with Russia, we may see additional charges about other matters. Mm. Uh, Again, Marianne, thanks very much for the call. And the comments, let's go to Greg in Gross Point. Greg, welcome to Detroit. Hey, 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 Stephen. Hi, uh, Barbara. It's Greg Bowens. How are you? Oh, hey, Greg. (laughs) Go ahead. Uh, my question is uh, to Barb is, do you think that because uh, Mr. Barr wrote a summary of you know the report uh, and prior to doing that, he had written a 19 page you know memo treatise, whatever thing that was published saying that a president could never be indicted, a sitting president could never be indicted. Mm-hmm. 
do you think that because he came to the job with that kind of background, uh, uh, that his conclusions on the Mueller report uh, either support or undermine people's faith in the Justice hmm. Department? I mean, is that an issue? Yeah, uh, great question, Greg. Th- thanks for the call. Uh, what role should that be playing in people's minds, the fact that uh, William Barr did express his opinions about indicting a sitting president and then took uh, control of of interpreting the Mueller report for the public. Yeah, I think Greg asks a, a really great question. Um, that was one of the issues that William Barr was asked some very pointed questions about during his confirmation hearing, that he wrote this unsolicited 19-page memo when he was just a, a citizen and sent it to the Justice Department saying, this is how you ought to look at obstruction of justice for a sitting president. Um, you know, that is one legal theory. And the fact that he took this decision out of the hands of Robert Mueller, decided it himself, and did not defer that question to Congress, uh, strikes me as potentially an overreach. And I think uh, for that reason, Congress is not going to go along with that conclusion quietly. Uh, I think the next step is to look and see what the full report says. But the fact that Robert Mueller said himself that the report did not exonerate President Trump, I think begs the question, on what basis did William Barr uh, reach his conclusion that there was not obstruction of justice here. Was it a factual one or a legal one, as Greg points out? Because we know his legal philosophy is that a president can never obstruct justice uh, unless he tampers with witnesses or destroys evidence. But simply uh, executing an order, ex- exercising his powers, can never amount to obstruction of justice, even if he did it in a corrupt or abusive way. Hmm. And and it is to, it's left now to Congress to answer that question almost exclusively, right? I mean, I, I suppose some of these other investigations that are going on around going on around the country could reach that question, but but that seems unlikely given the Justice Department uh, stance on this. I think so. I think because William Barr is also the boss of every U.S. attorney in the country, exactly. so you know, one theory could be that uh, the reason that President Trump wanted there to be um, and end to the investigation wasn't because he was worried about Russia, but because he was worried about Stormy Daniels. And so he corruptly asked Comey to end the investigation. I think some people could arguably find that's obstruction of justice. Mm-hmm. Um, but if the U.S. attorney in the Southern District of New York were to say they wanted to go forward with those charges, it seems likely that William Barr would do the same thing to them, what he did to Robert Mueller, and say, no, uh, I can't as a matter of law. Um, But again, important to see the full explanation of um, Mueller's report before we can reach that conclusion. Okay, Barbara McQuaid, former U.S. attorney for the Eastern District of Michigan, now teaching at the University of Michigan. As always, thanks for joining us here on Detroit Today. Thanks very much, Stephen. All right, up next, we're going to talk with Republican State Senator Pete Lucido. We'll get his reaction to the Mueller report, and we'll talk about why he opposes Governor Whitmer's Rhodes plan, that 45-cent increase in the gas tax. Also, don't forget, if you miss any of today's show, you don't have to miss out on the conversation. Go to iTunes or wherever you download podcasts. Download and subscribe to Detroit Today. Take us with you. And you can listen when you are ready. Also, don't forget to help us out during the fundraiser, the spring fundraiser. Remember, when you get us to the $315,000 goal, we will stop fundraising. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today.
You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. There is one lawmaker who's particularly unhappy with the plan to fix Michigan roads. That's State Senator Pete Lucido, a Republican from Shelby Township. He says the money to fix our roads is already there. It's just not being spent the way it should be. And higher taxes at the pump, that's going to hurt people's pocketbooks, but maybe not even create the better conditions that we are expecting for the roads. Joining me now to talk more about roads and to talk about the Mueller investigation is Pete Lucido. Welcome back to Detroit Today. Good morning, Stephen, and good morning to all the listeners. Yeah, it's always great to have you with us. Uh, let's let's start with uh, the Mueller report, which you have some thoughts about as well. Uh, you spent a long time uh, working in the criminal law sphere, so so this is something that you actually uh, know a lot about. I'm I'm curious what your reaction was when we when we saw what we saw this weekend. Yeah, you know, Mueller was. Um uh, special counsel that was brought in. He worked for both the Bush and the Obama administration. So no one was uh, offended by the fact that he wasn't fair or he was not biased. Right. In fact, to the contrary, they supported it because he's an ex-Marine who has good ethics and good uh, standards, high standards. So let's get right to it. He went through and proceeded with like a grand jury investigation. And the grand jury those documents that are subpoenaed or brought to a grand jury or that testimony is secret and confidential. The reason why, and I'm surprised the former U.S. attorney, uh, McQuaid, didn't bring that up because at the conclusion of a grand jury investigation, no one's going to get that information. And the reason why is we promote people to come forward and tell the truth. We want them to do what they need to do, which is – get to the bottom of whatever they're investigating. In this case here, yes, there was 35 people that were actually charged. Uh, There was a bunch of Russians that were actually charged. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, uh, that investigatory tool still remains with rules. And that's the same with after the Clinton administration, when this investigation went on with Bill Clinton, our former president. Yeah, they released everything. Yeah, they released everything and they learned something from that. To, To your point, they did. They learned that by doing that, now they've brought up what's called offensive or uh, made sure that people were, were, were embarrassed. Uh, and they said this is not right. And they put together some rules as to what, if anything, can come out from those investigations. No one's talking about this out there, and they should be talking about it because— And you're saying that that's the, that should be what's guiding the conversation about how much of this report should be made public. 100%. As a legislator myself, as the legislators that are over there in Washington, I understand my role, responsibilities, and duties. I also understand there's three separate branches of government. One of them is the judiciary. And, and, and let's face it, the executive branch, the judiciary and the legislative, all independently coexist but have equal power. So unless somebody didn't have rules, then I think you have to make the rules as you go. But because there is rules, somebody better talk about following those rules. Otherwise, get rid of the rules. Hmm. Well, uh, what do you make of the idea, though, that there are unsettled legal questions that, that – that this report could help illuminate. So, for instance, it doesn't make a conclusion about whether the president obstructed justice. That's something that Congress could, on its own, take a look at and decide whether it wanted to pursue. Why not 
give Congress the opportunity to do that, given that the, the, the report is there. Okay. So what you're saying is Congress has the right now to go ahead and bring charges? Sure. Congress always has the right to bring charges if they want. I thought that that was what's called the pr- prosecutorial, or in this case here, the U.S. Attorney's Office, or the United States Attorney that's been appointed by the president to go, to go do what he has to do, which is an investigation and conclusion and bringing charges. The interesting part about this is there has been such a division in our state as well as now our country. When is it going to be time to govern? And I haven't seen it. And you know what? I'm paying for governance, but I ain't getting my money's worth. <laughs> well, I mean, I think we got to be able to walk and chew gum at the same time, right? <laughs> we got to be able to govern and deal with potential criminality on the part of government officials. You have 37 people here who were charged with crimes related to this investigation. I think it's I think it's perfectly reasonable to say, well, shouldn't Congress take a look at whether they could go further than the Justice Department did with regard to the President of the United States? I think one of the things that the Justice Department is saying here is that it's not their role to deal with potential criminality of a sitting president. That is Congress's job. I didn't know that they were saying that, but I do know what the nature of the investigation was, was did the president conspire with the Russians to fix an election? And the answer is no. Unequivocally, pursuant to Mueller's report, it was no. In addition... Well, it was that there is not enough evidence to, to, to charge him with that. That's true. Your interpretation is different than mine, but Even at the end of the day... lots of other people were charged with doing that on his behalf, I, the, you know, that seems, that seems not to suggest that nothing happened, just that there's not enough evidence to bring a charge. Yeah. But at the end of the day, I guess we're all faced with this. What is the role of Congress, and what is the role of the president, and what is the role of the judiciary? Mm -hmm. All three separate functions, and at the end of the day, if we're going to still spend two more years up till the point of the election to investigate, to traumatize, to invoke more division of people and government doing something other than governing, then it's costing the taxpayers a lot of money, and I really got to say I ain't getting my money's worth, and I hope you've listeners out there are a little bit more pissed off than I am. <laughs> well, I guess we'll see, right? Yeah. Uh, l- let's talk about the roads. We had you in last fall, I believe, to talk about roads. I think this was before the election, or maybe right after, uh, when we talked about what some of the possibilities might be for fixing the roads to raise this $2 billion uh, a year that, that they say we need. You had some really interesting approaches, and you thought that the new governor, Gretchen Whitmer, might be open to them. Uh, catch us up. Sure. How receptive was she to these ideas you put in front of her? So I went up to the government and played my role. Uh, b- before um, Prop 1, I, I watched Prop 1 fail miserably before I was elected. So what Lacito wanted to do was go up to the government and play my role by saying, let's look at options and alternatives other than taxing because the people of this state my district said, absolutely not, Lucido. don't you dare tax me. So when I got up there, I offered solutions, suggestions, or options. That's what a governing person's supposed to do. So I said, we have 20, at the time we had 19 billion, with a B, in the Catastrophic Claims Fund, which is going for catastrophic injuries. We're generating about $1.4 billion a year in interest and collecting about $1.2 billion in premium and paying out about a billion We've got a surplus in there. We need road repair. 
immediately fixed because it's causing catastrophic injuries. As a such, I put a bill in that says use the interest only from the catastrophic claims fund to get all of these roads up to date, up to speed, and then go ahead and take your foot off the gas because we will then look at changing Public Act 51. Public Act 51 is a statute that's been out there for 58 years. Did I say 58? 68 years. 68 years old. Never been changed on the funding mechanism. We're giving all of our money in southeast Michigan to up north. I will submit that all of your legislators that live in southeast Michigan will vote yes to change Public Act 51. Ask them. Do you think Public Act 51 is equitable and fair? Their answer is no. Well, the problem is that they don't they don't make up a majority of the chambers. I oh, mean, yes, they do. If you, uh, it, with if, taking taking in Kent County and Genesee uh, County, okay, so you've you, got enough legislators to go ahead and rock that boat right on over and sink it and get rid of Public Act 51, which anyone knows is unfair, unequitable. And Gretchen Whitmer, our governor, my governor, knows that it's unfair, unequitable, because as a sitting legislator at one time, they had these same debates as a result, she wanted to use the new 45 cents that she and only she brought in as a suggestion to go around Act 51 because she knows there wouldn't be enough to fix where all of her pictures are from, southeast Michigan. So, so uh, part, as you point out, part of this increase in the gas tax would include a reapportionment of, of money that would disregard some parts of Act uh, 51. 100%, Stephen. And then all the up north legislators jumped in and said, oh, no, no, Governor, you they can't don't do, do that. that. Oh, no, you can't do that. This is a constitutional protection. I can tell you this much, Stephen. I've talked to my executive, Mark Hackle. I know that Mayor Duggan and I know that Brooks Patterson, all three are on board. If we can't fix 51 because the legislature keeps putting somebody from up north as the chairperson who will never take the bill up to change 51 because they get more money up north because it's on the length of the lane, not lane miles, Right. then I submit to you that we go to a ballot initiative of this state because that's what it's going to take and change the so damn you thing. Would, you, would rather, you would rather see us deal with that sort of structural imbalance than go to the pump and say... Let's have people pay more money. You don't. You don't think we should be paying. You. You don't think we need to raise more revenue. To- At this time here, I my suggestion to the governor was we buy homes within twenty to twenty five miles of where we work. This is done by an insurance study. As such, if we're driving twenty to twenty five miles to and from our work every day, that's where the roads are most going to go ahead and fail. And therefore, I looked at the registrations from eighty three counties. This state has eighty three counties. Wayne, Oakland, and Macomb, in that order, have the most vehicles registered. They have 4.4 million vehicles out of 7.2 million vehicles registered in the state. Why is it that we're getting less than 36% of a dollar on our road funding? Everybody should stand up and say, enough is enough. Let's go back to our basics, which is fix the damn roads, but don't steal my money doing it. (laughs) Uh, as always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll work you into the conversation. My guest is State Senator Peter Lucido. He's a Republican from Shelby Township. He represents Michigan's 8th Senate District. We're talking about the roads plan, the idea of raising our gas tax, 
gas tax by 45 cents per gallon in order to raise the $2 billion we need to take better care of the roads. We are also talking about the Mueller report. How much of that should be made public? Let's go to Robert in Detroit. Robert, welcome to Detroit today. Um, well, I can see now that there's a big division among rep- Republicans in the state because a lot of the northern Republicans, uh, are representatives, are, are um, Republican. And obviously this is a, um, a northern Michigan, southern Michigan problem that we need to address. Um, and, and it's disappointing that after so many years where Republicans had complete control of our government, um, that they weren't able to fix the roads. But I'm just wondering right now, going forward, how we're going to deal with this. And, and what about taxing trucks? Uh, great question, uh, Robert. Uh, what, about, what about looking at more usage-based kinds of fees for our roads? Trucks, people bring that up a lot to me and say, these trucks really take a big toll on our roads, and they don't pay what they what they probably should uh, to, to, to be able to do that. Is that something you think would help us out here, Pete? Not enough trucks. Uh, we're looking at what's called vehicles. And under uh, vehicles, the statute says trucks, vehicles, which is automobiles, and uh, motorcycles. When you start to add all those ups, trucks make up less than 10% of all the vehicles that are registered in the state. The largest span is those cars. And I submit to you, Robert, you're right. Who's doing the most damage to the road? It probably is the trucks by weight and the freeze-thaw. But at the end of the day, look where the registrations are of those vehicles and look where the most damage are. We register those vehicles, over a million vehicles here in Detroit, over a million vehicles over in uh, in uh, Oakland, and uh, almost close to a million in Macomb. When you add them all up, it's over 4 million vehicles. Let's be real here. That's what's causing the damage we have and the potholes we have and the angst that we have, and those are all the pictures the governor sees. So I would be in her corner if she would just take the registration fees, which incidentally, everyone, goes 100% of the roads. I'll say it again. Registration money that you pay at the Secretary of State to register your plates goes 100%, doesn't divert into schools, doesn't divert into this and that and every other Betty Crocker mix that they make up there in Lansing. The reality is it all goes to the roads. That should stay in the county in which the vehicles were registered. Hmm. Uh, Again, Robert, thanks very much for the call. And the question, uh, Pete Lucido, before I get to the next uh, caller, you also object to the way in which we spend gas tax money. One hundred percent. That that it doesn't go all to the roads. That that it gets distributed across lots of different things. This new money would would follow that same pattern. But is that a reason to oppose? No. This increase. The reason I'm opposing a forty five cent gas tax increase is gas has gone up twelve cents over the last uh, thirty days. Gas, in additionally, fluctuates, and therefore there's no consistency. My concern is when you attach a gas tax, some of that money goes to schools, and some of that money goes for MEDC, and some of that money goes, look, let's not play a game anymore with the taxpayer. Let's not keep them blinded anymore. 100% of the money has to go to the roads. It is a policy that I thought before I got to the legislature that we should have been doing years ago, but they've been poaching from Peter to pay Paul. (laughs) And at the end of the day, if all the gas tax and the fuel tax would have went to the roads, you and I wouldn't be talking about this subject today because there would have been enough money. But a billion dollars, $998 million, so let's just call it a billion for Roundup, 
went to schools last year. Not saying that the kids don't want it and don't need it, but let's face it, if we could backfill that billion dollars somewhere else, put it to the roads, we wouldn't be talking right now. So where would you get that other billion that's dollars not, for schools? That, that, that's what it needs to go through the entire budget. There was a, a, a line items that you got to go look at and you got to say, look at. And you know what? It's not that I can do it all. But I know that if I was the chair of transportation, I'd take up Public Act 51. I'd make sure it gets modified. I would say that the counties, where most of these roads are all broken and they're not even state roads, needs to keep more because we gave them less from revenue sharing over years. Everybody out there, those listeners that understand, they're going to say, why not keep the registration money in the county in which the vehicle's registered? Sound policy. Uh, again, thanks for the call and the questions. Robert, let's go to Heidi in Huntington Woods. She's got another idea about trucks. Heidi, welcome to the show. Okay. Um, well, my first question is why are load limits among the highest in the whole country? Mm-hmm. And no matter what percentage the trucks are of the vehicle traffic, that's obviously have an impact on our roads. That needs to be changed. Um, second is why was Public Act 51 not changed under Snyder? I don't understand that. Yeah. Thirdly, our tax burden is uh, number 23 in the nation, I believe. Mm-hmm. So um, we've got to tax people more. We have bad roads where public education is not getting funded. We're not taking care of our water um, purity, all kinds of issues that yeah. um, is dragging this state Heidi, down. Heidi, I want to give him a chance to answer all three of those questions. And we only got about a couple minutes left, but thanks for the call. Go ahead, uh, Pete. Uh, load limits first. Let's go to load limits. Um, there has been bills introduced. It's up to the department chairperson of transportation, both in the House and the Senate, to take it up. Last term, it was Tom Casperson in the Senate that ran transportation and Tristan Cole in the House. Both are from up north, way up north. And as a result, the they, they would be picking up a bill that would take away money from their district. Hmm. If we're supposed to serve our district, we're supposed to conquer and divide about keeping it in our district, the money. Therefore, it means nothing if they, everybody that's going to chair these committees are from up north. we got to take it to a ballot initiative to get this done. Hmm. Number two, the weight of a truck. Those bills, again, were put in those committees. The arguments were, are we going to pay more for our goods when these trucks have these axles? And they talk about axle weight. At the end of the day... We are double. I'll say it right there on the air. We're double the weight that any other state is. 164,000 pounds versus 83,000 Ohio has. At the end of the day, what are we trying to accomplish? So if the gas tax goes up, that means, and we've changed the weight distribution, there's two more trucks on the road. That means two more drivers. That means more workers comp, more wear and tear, more gas. We're going to be paying double for our goods and services. And I got to tell you, everybody, if you're going to go 45 cents at the pump a gallon, all that money's not going to the roads. It's not all going to the roads. It, it goes, goes into the, general fund. Yeah. Uh, okay. I, uh, we are out of time, but as always, <laughs> it is great to have you here with us, uh, State Senator Pete Lucido, Republican from Shelby Township. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Stephen. All right. That's going to do it for me today. I'll be back tomorrow. Remember, get involved with the spring fundraiser. As soon as we hit that magic number of $315,000, we will stop asking for money. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's public radio station, community service of Wayne State University. I'll talk with you again tomorrow.